Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dr. Peter Hotes joins us, Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Health in Houston, also the co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital for Vaccine Development. And uh, his new book is Preventing the Next Pandemic. And uh, you can go to at J-H-U Press, at J-H-U Press, Preventing the Next Pandemic, Vaccine Diplomacy in a Time of Anti-Science. Dr. Hotesh, thank you very much for taking the time. And I'd like to start with uh, with your book, if I may. My very interesting title, Preventing the Next Pandemic and Then Vaccine Diplomacy in a, in a Time of Anti-Science. Can you just explain the, the, the title, please? Yeah, sure. I actually started it, Roy, before uh, we even knew about COVID-19 and its emergence. And it basically says that, you know, starting in 2000, we made great gains in our ability to vaccinate the world's children and uh, tremendous drops in measles and whooping cough and tetanus and diphtheria, all the ancient childhood scourges because we were vaccinating the world's children. But I found a slippage of it all starting in 2015, and it was due to uh, a constellation of social forces, social determinants, such as in some countries it was war, political collapse, and others uh, urbanization, others this rise in anti-science, anti-vaccine movements. And I was worried because we were starting to see returns of diseases such as measles. And so I make the point that what we're seeing now with the total collapse of global health due to COVID-19 is really more of a culminating event that actually began in 2015. When people say, look, vaccines aren't safe, we don't want to take them, we don't want to use them, and I, I'm going to be the first one in line to uh, to uh, be vaccinated, but when that is raised, I always think of the book, uh, your other book, Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, and that's your daughter. Yeah, this was around um, what we have here in the United States, especially in this part of the country where I am here in Texas. We have a very aggressive uh, anti-vaccine movement that that use, invokes this sort of fake term they call health freedom or medical freedom. Government can't tell us what to do when they withhold vaccines from their kids, and in part because we've got such an aggressive mis. Uh, misinformation, disinformation movement claiming vaccines cause autism and other things. And I'm a vaccine scientist, and here I have a daughter with autism, an adult. Now she's an adult and with autism and uh, also intellectual disabilities. And I thought, well, if I don't if I don't write this book, who will to kind of stand up to this anti-vaccine movement because it's bringing back measles and other diseases across the country. And uh, so I wrote that in, in 2018, and now, unfortunately, that anti-vaccine movement has glommed on other things under this banner of health freedom. Now they're campaigning against masks and contact tracing, all the things that we need to defend public health in North America. And so it's it's become a huge problem in a major 
contributor to this terrible number that we have here in the U.S. of almost 200,000 deaths that will be there by uh, next week, this coming week. Uh, you don't have it nearly about as badly in Canada. Canada seems to have figured out a way to hold off some of these anti-science forces. You've had an incredible track record in how you've handled COVID-19. I, I wish we could be as successful as you are in, up in Canada. Uh, Dr. Hodes, what is vaccine diplomacy? That's in the well, title of your book. Well, vaccine diplomacy is this, uh, it's a concept that I put out there to describe the fact that when you look at the real successes in vaccine development and, and administration, they involve unprecedented levels of international cooperation. My favorite story, and, and I wrote this because I served as U.S. science envoy in the Obama administration to build vaccine diplomacy initiatives, but my, it really harkens back to the 1950s when Albert Sabin developed the oral polio vaccine, many don't realize that, that he had developed these virus strains, but it wasn't really made into a vaccine until it was brought over to the USSR, the Soviet Union, at the height of the Cold War, right after the Sputnik launch. The two nations put aside their ideologies to work together to actually develop that vaccine, tested on 10 million Soviet schoolchildren, was shown to be safe and effective, and ultimately this paved the way to license polio vaccines and eliminate polio over most of the world except for a couple of countries now. It's an extraordinary story. And we did it again, cooperated with the Soviets over smallpox. And the, what I'm very distressed to see is we've replaced that now with something just the opposite. You know, now for the first time, we talk about the British vaccine or the Chinese vaccine or the Russian vaccine or the American vaccine. There's even a new term that's been coined called vaccinationalism, and, and I hate it. I mean, we've never spoke about vaccines that way, and it's very destructive. And and we're starting to see this kind of collapse in global governance around vaccines. So you're starting to see now individual countries make one-off deals with the Chinese or the Russians to procure a vaccine. And we've, this has never happened before or happened in recent memory. And, and you know... It'd be interesting to discuss some of the forces behind that. Yeah, I'd love to do that with you uh, in, in our next conversation. We have about a minute here. Um, when? Uh, you know, I ask you this every time. Everybody, I'm sure, asks you. And I know you're working hard on vaccine development and have been for some time. And a few years ago, or maybe it was 10 years ago, you told us in one of our conversations that you would have been, uh, you were close. And if the funding had been there, there would probably be a vaccine for COVID now. But when when should we expect to be able to be vaccinated against this thing? Well, we have a new vaccine that we're now producing in India with a company called Biological E. They're producing a billion doses of a low-cost vaccine that will really help fill the gaps. And uh, I think by the third quarter of next year, we should start seeing significant numbers of people across North America and the world get vaccinated. Many people are and I've been saying that all along. Many people are surprised to hear it. They think it's going to happen tomorrow. It's not. I mean, it does take time to show that these vaccines actually work and are safe. And and that's a process that does take time. I think we'll start vaccinating the U.S. population, uh, especially for essential workers uh, and uh, healthcare professionals, for first-line responders, 
probably starting in the beginning of 2021, assuming these vaccines, we can actually show okay. that these vaccines out of Operation Warp Speed work, and then we'll build up gradually. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.